0: All right, now you can turn on record. God bless you. I really am in trouble probably. Give the tech folks a hand back there. They put up with so much. All right, tonight we're going to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, we're in chapter 6, and this is called Jesus' Masterpiece, though anything he said was a masterpiece. But the fact that Jesus sat down, and this just came out of his mouth, this Sermon on the Mount, no notes, it was on the spot, this incredible message on life and living uh, is it, just astonishing to me. It's just amazing to me. It's one of the evidences that he was God, okay? So he deals with all the practical issues of life. Sermon on the Mount is all about living on earth and preparing for eternity while we're here, um, It's very, very practical, applicable, um, relevant to everyday living, and tonight we'll prove it because we're talking about money, worry, and a bad eye. Now last time we talked about the greatest prayer ever prayed, the Lord's Prayer, it it got me back into praying that prayer this week. Um, I'd kind of gotten away from actually praying that prayer, and I did it some more this week because just teaching it last week reminded me how good it is. We saw that the Lord's Prayer literally covers every need you will ever encounter in life. There's nothing in your human life you will ever encounter the Lord's Prayer doesn't cover. And the Lord's Prayer is tucked away right in between what Jesus had to say about giving, praying, and fasting. Notice he didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. Everybody say, amen. amen. Now, following these topics... Jesus transitions into a discussion on money, worry, and a bad or evil eye. And those three are all connected to one another. Matter of fact, the, the Sermon on the Mount, remember, it didn't have chapters. It's just one long continuum. That's the Sermon on the Mount. We broke the Bible up into chapters. God didn't. Now, it's okay. I'm glad there are chapters. But remember, he just sat down and taught, and Matthew 5, 6, and 7 were all just one long, stupendous, profound message. Now, first, the Lord deals with what our primary pursuit in life will be. Are we going to be primarily focused on money, on possessions, On material stuff? Or are we going to be focused on the kingdom of God? And I'm going to tell you, that makes the difference in people. What is your primary focus in life? Everybody's got one. What is ours? Jesus deals with it. Everything Jesus taught, it was practical, but it went straight to our heart. Dealt with the motivations of our heart. What was in our heart? The need for our heart to be changed, rearranged, renovated, redirected, recalibrated. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 20, we're going to pick it up there. Do not lay up for Let's read this together, can we? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I want to stop right here and talk about what Jesus knew to be true about every person in this room, everybody listening to me, every human on earth. We all have a primary pursuit in life. All of us do. You may have never thought about it, but everybody in this room, in this sanctuary, has a primary pursuit in life. Every human being out there carries a treasure in their heart. Our hearts are treasure collectors. Our hearts, I don't care who it is, are going to grab onto something we value most and declare it our treasure. For some people, it's money, and I've known a lot of those. For others, it's fame. We see that all the time. These people that go to Hollywood want to be famous. You ask them, why are you here? I want to be famous. Why why do they go on to uh, America's Got Talent? They want to be famous. Why do people do their own YouTubes, bad as they might be? Right? I see some of them singing. I go, oh, Lord, I can't hit that button fast enough. But what do they want? They want to be famous. They want to be known because that's where they get their meaning. Uh, Others awake, sadly, to pursue some addiction. That's what they live for. They wake up to chase that addiction. For some people, it's a lifelong dream. It might be a career. Uh, It might be being with some particular person. It might be achieving some cherished goal. But whatever it is, we wake up and there is a treasure that decides what we're going to pursue in life, what we're going to chase after. There's nothing wrong with most of those things that I read. Most of them. So long as, watch this church, so long as they're subservient, to God's will. Amen. It's when they take the place of God or even become our God that they're wrong and out of balance. And see, when they become our God, we call it an idol. An idol doesn't have to be some little wooden or stone or uh, some, some little uh, figurine that we bow down to and worship like, like like we picture Old Testament people doing. Our culture is filled with idols Can anybody say American? Now watch this. Whatever becomes your primary treasure and pursuit, that's your God. And if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, it's an idol. And that's idolatry. Now Jesus deals in this passage with money because he ties money to that which we look to primarily in the main for security rather than to God. The pursuit of money is what most people turn to, to feel secure. Jesus knew this. The underlying motivation of of most chasing after money is so we can feel secure and have the things we want, and we we put all of our security in our bank account, in what we possess. Jesus is going to show us later that the pursuit of money and possessions is the default choice of the entire world. He says in Matthew 6, 32, after all these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, all of the basic uh, uh, necessities of life, after all these things, things the Gentiles seek. He means the entire pagan world Seeks after these things instead of after God. Jesus said, I'm going to give you, my followers, a better way. And, and the rest of what we're going to study tonight is related to this right here. Let me give you a better way. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. One of our staff members this week realized that somebody from another state had hacked into their account and took every dollar out of their bank account. Every dollar from another state. Are you ready? From New Jersey. They got their number and they hacked into their account and drained their entire bank account. And I thought of this verse because Jesus said, when it's earthly possessions, it can be stolen, moth and rust can corrupt it. In other words, Earthly possessions are not secure. You can lose them like that. Now here's what he's telling us something amazing here. He says, and I like to put it this way. You can't take anything with you to heaven, but you can send some things ahead. Now I want you to catch that thought because that's the amazing thing he's telling us in this verse. You can't take anything with you. We've all read the stories. I read a story. I've read stories where a wealthy man was buried with his car. There's people buried with their guitars, buried with jewelry, buried with their, but it's 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 I mean it's really kind of crazy because you can't take it with you. But Jesus is telling us you can send some things ahead. You can send treasure ahead. Though our lives on earth are short, they are a blink blink, sandwiched in between two eternities. That's how fast your life is. James said, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's, That's your life compared to the two eternities on either side of you. Yet this lifetime, folks, according to Christ, is the only time we have to store up riches, we're going to enjoy for eternity and glory. This is the time we have to do it. He said, don't chase after what you're going to eat, what you're going to, don't make your primary pursuit material stuff. He's going to tell us later, seek first the kingdom of God. Make that your primary pursuit. And if that is your primary pursuit, he said, I will see to it that all the things that the Gentiles are constantly worried about are added to you as a side benefit of having sought first my kingdom. Powerful stuff. Now, this is why the Lord in his parable of the rich man, I often think of this parable because it's the only time in the Bible when Jesus called somebody a fool and it's a rich man. And Jesus called him a fool for one reason. He said, you were not rich toward God. Think about that. Throughout his entire productive, fruitful, what we would call successful lifetime, he really wasn't a success because he was not rich toward God. Everything he had done was for himself with no thought whatsoever about God or eternity. He did it all for him. His Godhead was me, myself, and I. Ours is God the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But most of that culture out there, their Godhead is me, myself, and I. I mean, I, if I hear the phrase selfie one more time, <laughs> doesn't that say it? I mean, selfies, self-magazine, our, our country is awash in Self worship. Where, where my Godhead is my, me, myself, and I. But no, no. Listen, the real Godhead is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and we serve Him. Now, but this, this man may have made it onto the cover of Forbes magazine if he lived in our day, because he was extremely successful. But God called him a fool. Luke 12, 20 to 21. God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, said Jesus, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So here's the Lord over and over again in his teachings, not just sermon on the mount, but throughout his ministry. He taught, I don't want you chasing after stuff. I want you chasing after me. I want you chasing after me. There was a a real popular book, The God Chasers. And and I think the title had a lot to do with the success because it it, it registered with people who had been touched by Jesus and now he is their primary pursuit. They wake up and chase him. Amen? Amen. Jesus knew human nature like nobody else, so he fully understood that our heart is going to be invested in whatever our treasure is happens to be our affections always cleave to what we value most show me what you love and i'll show you where your heart is and show me where your heart is and i'll show you where your feet are going to follow this means that if our primary treasure is something in this world it's going to decide what we pursue in life folks we've got to get this because has anybody in here realized how fast life happens What it is yesterday I was 30 and starting senior pastoring. Now being 42, it just, it's gone. I'm kidding. But I can't believe 32 years ago I started pastoring. It's happened like that. Somebody asked Billy Graham once, What's the greatest surprise of your life? He said, The brevity of life. The brevity of life. So it's very, very important. While we're here, What are we aimed at? What are we pursuing? What are we chasing? What is our treasure? Whatever you pursue in life is going to decide what you hold in your hands at the end of your life. Will it be money? Will it be fame? Will it be career? Or will it be a lifetime's worth of kingdom fruit? I want that last one. I want that last one. I want a lifetime's worth of kingdom fruit. But a lot of people reach, you know what they got at the end, in their hands at the end of their life? Sand sifting through their fingers. They end up with nothing. The rich man in Jesus' parable ended up with so much money and possessions, he had to build bigger barns to hold it all. This guy, was he needed a bigger bank. He had made so much money. Yet Jesus called him a fool because he couldn't take one grain of wheat in one of those granaries and carry it with him into eternity. And all that he had saved up would be given away to people that had never worked for it. Jesus said, who's going to get what you've earned? He's telling us there, somebody that didn't even work for it is going to get it. So dude, what was it all for? If you weren't rich toward God, the rich man's thinking went just like this. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Does this sound familiar? Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. And when you stop and think about it, isn't that the way the American dream is supposed to go? This may sound like blasphemy to some of you, but the American dream is not the Bible dream. Because the Bible dream is not to work all of your life and then retire onto a golf course for a few years and die. The Bible dream is that we would serve God all of our days and send treasure ahead of us by glorifying him in our life so that we enjoy treasure for eternity that can't be stolen. Amen. But the American dream, that corporate chief out there, here's the way he's thinking. You work till you're in your 60s, then you retire, you get your gold watch, you take your nest egg, you move to a dreamed-of location, and you play golf. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself, he said. Boy, Jesus knew people. But what he didn't take into account was he had no guarantee of tomorrow, neither do we. God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. That's exactly Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount. He advises, here it is, don't allow your heart to chase after things that can be easily stolen here today, gone tomorrow. Focus instead on pursuing the kingdom of God for kingdom treasures cannot be corrupted or stolen. What we all want to hear is this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter the joy of your Lord. That's rich. Amen? So Jesus taught, a life lived to the glory of God with the kingdom of God as our primary pursuit stores up indescribable treasures in the life to come. As Paul wrote, "I has not seen ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him and glorify him. So church, hear me carefully. For many in our culture out there, this is all there is. You live your life, you die, you return to the dirt, that's it. There's nothing beyond. So you might as well eat, drink, and be merry because this is all you're going to get. But to the Christian, to the believer, that's not it. This is only stage prep for the world to come. And what we do with the time God gives us, the talents God gives us, and the opportunities God gives us is going to determine our reward in the life to come. Now, I got to be honest, as a preacher of the word, and I got to tell you the flip side. The person who lives for themselves who remains in sin and cares nothing for God in this life is also storing up for eternity, but not what they will want. Listen to Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath. Everybody say storing up wrath. Wow. So you can store up treasure or store up wrath, but there's no other option. Storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So there's going to be a day of judgment or a day of reward. Which one do you want to be in? Amen. Now, keeping that in mind, he's dealing with the, the, what, what you're chasing in life. And then Jesus talks about a good eye and a bad eye. And, and this connects to what he had just said. The bad eye he's going to talk about refers to the person who pursues riches for riches' sake. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, which means clear or healthy, your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now Jesus is again addressing the importance of our focus in life. Isn't that what he was just talking about? Yes. What are you chasing? What's your focus? What's your treasure? So now he's just continuing with this idea, this thought, this truth. What is your eye? And I take it to be the eye of your soul, your inner man's eye. What is it looking at? What's its its focus? Are we focused on the kingdom of God, on Christ himself? Is our primary inward gaze directed toward the things of God? Or is it directed towards the fleeting treasures of this world? Because, again, that makes the difference in people. I can talk to somebody for 10 minutes, and I can walk away without trying to be judgmental or anything. It'll just be my impressions. But I will walk away knowing if this person is chasing Christ or their heart is on the things of this world. It won't take 10 minutes just listening to what they say. Jesus said, if your eye is focused on things of this world, he calls that a bad eye, an evil eye. Just the sound of that, I don't want one. <laughs> right? Whatever our primary focus is, will either fill our lives with light or plunge them into darkness. Oh, what a truth that is. Whatever our primary focus is. This is why we're so often encouraged in scripture to look up. What, what does Hebrews say? Looking unto Jesus. Let's say it together. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the focus of the child of God. In Colossians 3, Paul says, if, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is. That's what you're chasing. Set your mind, which is the same thing as the eye of your soul, on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, you might be wondering, you know, Jeff, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that. I I, want to be that way. I can only tell you what works for me. Because I have found that if I don't get with God first, I'm playing catch-up the rest of the day. So I have a little saying, and you know what it is, but I'm going to keep on saying it because... uh, I don't think there ought to be a Christian on the planet that does not have an established devotional life. How are you going to abide in the vine? How will I abide in the vine if I don't get up daily and get with God? Get into his word, get into prayer, spend my time with him there at the beginning. Because when I'm doing that, I'm abiding in the vine. He that abides in the word and the word abides in him will bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He's talking about fruit bearing. Apart from me, you can't bear fruit. So there's got to be times that during the day when we are plugged in to the vine, I've learned that if I get up and do anything before I get with God, I'm, I, I feel like I'm playing catch up the rest of the day. So, so I get up and I've learned I chase him first. So I, I get my... Well, I have to say, I've chased the coffee first. (laughs) I do get my coffee. Then I go out to my little place and I sit down and I open up that Bible and I begin to read my reading for the day. I soak in that word. I feed on the word of God. And and then I pray. And and when my spirit man is strong, then I allow myself to go eat food, ride my bike, whatever I'm going to do. But First things first, seek first the kingdom of God. Because if you don't, other things are going to grab your attention real fast, and your mind's going to be harried and harassed and hassled the rest of the day. So if the eye of our soul is turned primarily toward the things of this world, it's a guarantee our soul is going to be flooded with darkness from vain pursuits all kinds of lusts and soul traps. Listen to what Paul warned young Timothy. He said, those who want to get rich, those whose primary pursuit is earthly riches, those who get up to chase money, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Same thing Jesus was saying. If your eye is evil, if it's focused on the wrong things, then you're going to go a wrong direction. Nothing wrong with riches as long as you have the riches and they don't have you. I know wealthy people who love the Lord with all their heart and their money doesn't own them. But I've also seen people get rich and walk away from God. Jesus next tells us something about human nature, about the way that we are wired by God and it's inescapable. He says, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon is riches. Whatever you and I decide to chase in life, God or riches or some other idol, one thing you will not successfully do is chase them both. You won't do it. You can't have your cake and eat it too. We're not designed by God to be duplicitous. We're just not. We're designed by God to have one focus. He created us to serve him. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is this one. You are to have no other gods besides me. Commandment number one. Amen. Amen. So here's a fact. Each and every person on earth will reach the end of their days having exclusively served one God above all others, the true and the living God or the idolatrous God of your choosing. But you will end life that way. I've been at the bedside of not a few people who were leaving this world as a pastor. Here's what I've never heard. I've never heard anyone say, if only I hadn't served God so much. Oh, I wish I hadn't served Jesus so much. I have had them say, oh, do I regret that I didn't come to him sooner? Do I regret that I wasted so much of my time? Now, Jesus is going to continue on with with this thought, getting right down to it. What is one of the great reasons people continually pursue wealth? material security, the accumulation of stuff. You know what it is? It's worry. Everybody say with me, worry. How many of you in here have ever worried? I want to see how many liars we have in the house of God tonight. No. Uh, all right. Worry. Now, <clears throat> I, as I follow Jesus' teaching, it's a continuum. And Jesus knew in talking about riches and what you're chasing, that the reason a lot of people chase stuff is because they're worried about their life. So now he deals with worry. And he says in verse 25, he begins verse 25 when he talks about worry with a therefore. Now, I've told you before, when you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Therefore is a connective. It connects what he just said to what he's about to say. So he's letting us know with the therefore, he's continuing his thought on money and riches and why we chase it. He says, therefore, I say to you, let's read this together because we need to, some of you need to hear this tonight yourself. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Let's do a little preaching to one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry about your life. Amen. Don't worry about your life. And then Jesus elaborates what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I love the way the Living Bible puts it. So my counsel is, says Jesus, don't worry about things, food, drink, clothes. For you already have life and a body. And they are far more important than what to eat and to wear. I'm a word guy, and especially when it's Bible words, they so matter, worry, worry. It's translated from a Greek word that means drawn in opposite directions, divided into parts. So literally, to go to pieces, being pulled apart. And to me, that perfectly describes worry because, see, worry, you're wanting to focus on this here, but you're worried about that over there or this over here or that over yonder and you're pulled in all these directions because of what you're worried about so that you can't focus on the one thing that matters. And that's Jesus' whole point. If we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, we can't be a worried person. Or we're going to be pulled apart in different directions. We worry we're not going to have enough. We worry about where the next dollar is going to come from. We worry about the basic necessities of life, what you're going to eat, drink, wear, and, and I'm, I'm convinced that's why he led up to this by talking about the pursuit of riches because we seek after money because we're worried we're not going to have enough for our life. Jesus wants to deliver us from worry. I imagine here that he and the disciples are walking down some dusty road in the Middle East and he's talking about worry. And he, he pulls from nature. He, he points up to the sky and he says, guys, look at those birds up there. Let me tell you about those birds, he says. They don't sow, which means seeds for a crop. They don't reap a harvest for food. They can't. They didn't have any seed to sow. And they don't store away extra food in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? See, you gave me a great big amen, but I was just quoting Jesus. Now, what do you think the disciples said? Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) Here's the deal. Since they have no harvest of food or barns in which to store extra food, birds are totally dependent on the provision of God each and every day. It's a daily thing. If he doesn't provide, they don't eat. But God has created all of nature to be self-sustaining so so that they always have food. Well, most of the time, except in times of terrible drought or whatnot. But uh, Jesus' point is this. If God cares about that little sparrow, you think he's not going to take care of you? Four chapters later, here's what he says. Are are, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Stop thinking about that, everybody. Not one sparrow, the commonest bird, will fall to the ground apart from your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know what that's telling us right there? God's providential care reaches out and takes care of his entire creation. So Jesus says, if if God's going to do that for a little bird that you can sell for a penny, he's not going to take care of you. And then he tells us, the uselessness of worry. So let me tell you how useless it is. If you're sitting there worried about things, let me tell you what it's going to do for you. He says, which of you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? You can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. In other words, translated, worrying isn't doing anything for you. Worrying solves nothing. I like to say, worry is like a dark room where negatives are developed. If you're worrying, you're worrying. (laughs) Who was it that said, I've had many troubles in my life, but most of them never happened. Okay, you get it? I was worried about so many things, but most of them never happened. But I was developing the negatives in the dark room of worry. I'll tell you what worry will do for you. Promise you it'll rob your sleep. Steal your joy, subtract from your life, and solve nothing. Now, now I came from a a, a family of worriers, and my mother might be watching, and, Mom, I'm going to tell them. It wasn't on her side. It was my dad's side. My dad's family were worriers, real worriers, professional worriers. If if you didn't want to worry about it, you could call them, and they'd worry for you. They worried. And, And my dad was always worried about stuff. He, he was just a worrier. And as a little guy growing up, I would watch him worry, and I learned that response to adversity. I learned that response to life. And so when I came to Christ, I was all tied up in knots all the time because I was worried about so many things. It pulled apart in all these different directions. I mean, I would worry about I It got to where, seriously, I was worried that I was worrying. And I used to say, it was like the hamster on the wheel going, you know, running crazy, but getting nowhere in my thinking. And I would spend whole days worried that I was worrying too much. And what's wrong with me that I'm such a worrier and worry about that. And I had to ask the Lord to deliver me. And it was this sermon on the Mount that I memorized that went into my spirit and began to untangle this learned response to life and taught me to not worry, because Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Amen, Amen. that's good preaching right there. Okay, all right. (laughs) And, And then he turns from the sky to the nearby field, and he points to the flowers blooming there. And he says, why do you worry about clothing? What do you worry about? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil. That means work. They don't spin. Clothing. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed like one of these lilies. Just one of those lilies puts to shame Christian Dior or anybody else. Calvin Klein, anybody else. Here's the bottom line of the Lord's message on worry. And this is a command. He didn't say, go think about this. He said, don't do it. Here's the bottom line. God in his gracious providence takes care of the most insignificant of his creation. Therefore, he will take care of you. That's his point. In verse 31, he tells us for the second time, let's just read it together. It's right up there. Read it with me. Therefore, do not worry saying, read it with me, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. So there's a command, second time, in one sermon, quit worrying. The entire world worried about basic necessities is worry-driven rather than faith-driven. Jesus assures us, for your heavenly father knows you need all these things. He already knows. That's what Jehovah Jireh means. Jehovah Jireh, the provider, means he sees ahead of time. He knows before you know. What you need. He already sees it. Since we know that God will take care of us, it frees us from worry so that we can seek first his kingdom. That's where he's going with this. He advises. us. Can we read it together? But seek first the kingdom of God. I hear about five of you. Come on. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, food, drink, clothing, shall be added to you. That's what he says. And yeah, then he closes out chapter 6 with another therefore. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You got enough today. Quit worrying about what you don't even know yet about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow brings. He just told us, you do not know. Well, I know what tomorrow brings. I, I feel it in my gut. Well, you know what? Jesus said, you don't know what tomorrow brings. Because he might break through for you tonight, and tomorrow will be totally different than what you thought it held. Okay. Now I'm just reading to you. I'm not saying this is easy to do because I came from champion warriors. Okay? I did. Jesus has told us not to worry about three things. Life, basic necessities, and tomorrow. God will provide our necessities. And you know what? He's already there in your tomorrow waiting for you to arrive. So that's good stuff. And this, this from the savior, who's about to go to the cross. If he can say, don't worry about tomorrow when he knew he was going to the cross. Wow. If I knew I was headed to the cross, I'd every day, boy, I'd be all tied up in knots, right? But not Jesus, not Jesus. How many of you enjoyed this tonight? We're done with, we're done with Matthew 6. Let's stand together.